Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back, prom party. Spring break. Spring break forever. Forever. <laughs> Spring break. <laughs> I feel like listening to you do that is this podcast's equivalent of you will die in seven days. It's just as threatening. Yeah, anything from James Franco is threatening. Yeah, I... But at least I got that sexy vocal fry. Because <laughs> I have a messed up voice. <laughs> Prom party, we ended up having a weirdly edgy month. We oh, did we... not plan on it. <laughs> oh, did we ever? We're not even done. We still have at least one more super edgy episode coming up after this one. Yeah, we do. Oh, so what if a anyone, wild March. If anyone was looking for some lighthearted fare for March, uh, I guess March Madness it is. Madness more like mayhem. <laughs> Friends, in honor of this film's 10-year anniversary, I mean, technically 2013 is when it hit the States, but it was doing festivals in 2012. It's the 10-year anniversary of Spring Breakers. We had to talk about it. Spring break season. Spring break forever. <laughs> yeah, it is also spring break season. So a lot of people are descending onto Florida and Cancun and wherever else people go to do debaucherous things over their spring break. The vacation resorts where Girls Gone Wild was consistently recorded. Yeah, wherever those are. Yeah. <laughs> we, we wish you all luck. We hope you're all being safe. If you're attending spring break, I feel like the answer is that you're not. <laughs> I, I don't know how much crossover we have with wild spring breakers and our podcast, but <laughs> if there are any of you, Godspeed. Can you imagine there's just some like topless girl with a way too dark tan right now listening to our podcast on the beach and is like, you know what? Maybe I should rethink this. You know what? You do you. <laughs> you do you. Oh, this movie. So much to say and so much better left unsaid. I feel like we can very easily encapsulate this movie just by analyzing the dialogue of James Franco's character of Alien in which he is saying exactly what he feels mm -hmm. and also saying a whole lot of nothing in a redundant loop for long periods of time. Yes, that is exactly what is happening with this character, and he's doing a very good job on it. I mean, we're going to get the elephant out of the room immediately. 
James Franco has been accused of a lot of horrible stuff. Yeah, fuck James Franco. Um, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that. It's just important that we acknowledge that we are talking about a movie in which, like, he was getting a lot of awards buzz and is doing a very good job at what he's supposed to be doing. Oh, he's very talented, but so are a lot of shitty people. Con- exactly. Mel Gibson's really talented. Fuck Mel Gibson. Kevin exactly. Spacey's really talented. <laughs> fuck Kevin Spacey. Exactly. So please understand that this is in no way condoning or excusing or apologizing for his behavior he can fuck off into the sun we're here to talk about a movie that is very important to analyze Mm -hmm. so harmony what was your knowledge introduction to spring breakers um i think it was around this time last year around spring break season i saw it as a part of an online movie night Mm -hmm. and uh wow (laughs) there's a lot to digest uh, yeah, there certainly is. Absolutely. <laughs> My limited understanding of the work of Harmony Corinne, the most famous person to share my name, de- debatably. I This is in line with what I understand from him, because mm-hmm. the only other movie I've seen from him is Kids. Which he wrote and Larry Clark directed, but yeah, that's uh, that, that's one way to enter the, the filmmaking world. I will say that this was a much more gentle experience than seeing kids as like a 19-year-old at the LGBT Center in Cleveland, where like, they just plopped it in front of us, gave us no real context, and I think it was kind of like, look, you have it so well off. This could be your life. Kind of like a scared straight thing, maybe? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really don't know why they made us watch that film. But they also never helped us walk through it at all. So it was just a bunch of teenagers going, I'm uncomfortable. This felt like you just made us watch child porn. Yeah, there's a there's a lot going on with kids. Maybe we'll do that one day. <laughs> oh, I'm sure everyone's <laughs> clamoring for our deep thoughts on kids. So yeah, Harmony Crin is known for making kind of... I, I don't even know how to describe them. Films like art house is not correct. That's Unhinged, not the word. surreal nightmares. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. So he wrote kids. He also directed a film called trash humpers, which just Google that have a, have a fun time with that. Um, but spring breakers was arguably his most like mainstream movie. And a lot of it had to do with the casting. Mm-hmm. Um, we are seeing Selena Gomez and Vanessa Hudgens kind of fresh out of the Disney machine. We've mm-hmm. also got Amber Benson, who was on Pretty Little Liars and has done like, she's in like the, the Texas cheerleader scandal lifetime movie. Like Amber Benson is pretty well known. And then our fourth girl is Rachel Crin, who's Harmony Crin's wife. Mm-hmm. And Pair that all in with then James Franco, who is clearly doing a character inspired by Riff Raff, mm-hmm. also the uh, rapper Dangerous. Um, so there's like a lot of people going at play, but mostly it's Riff Raff. Yeah. And people just could not believe what they were seeing. And at this point, I think Selena Gomez was the most followed person on Instagram at the time. So she's like the biggest star in the world. She still kind of is. Yeah, she's still I, I massively think she's popular. she's like the most streamed female artist of all time. It's something wild like that. Yeah. People love Selena Gomez. So this was like a huge deal to the point where when this movie came out, she even had to put publicly, 
on Instagram, like, hey, this, this is for your kids. This is not for my littles, <laughs> as she called them. Like, this is not for you. And yet, when the movie premiered, it was just floods of teen girls because they wanted to support and see Selena Gomez, oh. even though most of them oh. couldn't even get into the movie because it was rated R. I'm sure that this was a very hard pill for them to digest if they did see it. Yeah, more than likely. Whatever. She she plays like the good pseudo-Christian girl in this movie. So yeah, she's it didn't, doing some good. It didn't dash their dreams too much. <laughs> Vanessa Hudgens' fans got their de- dreams dashed. <laughs> so when I saw Spring Breakers, it was when it hit American theaters um, sometime in 2013. I think it was like around spring break time, actually. Sure. And that's the year that I graduated college. So uh, it was my final year of college. I was on the five-year plan because I had to take a semester off because of sleep disorders. It's fine. Um, But I went and saw it with a group of friends because we, again, we could not believe the cast and based on the trailers what we assumed they were going to be doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you see them in bikinis with ski masks holding guns and you're like, I watched you in High School Musical. I need to know what's going on here. Uh Uh, So we showed up and I just remember leaving and... No one could make sense of what they had just seen. Like, some people were like, that was stupid and awful. Some people were like, that felt like exploitation. Some people were like, I think that was brilliant commentary on America. And then there was me who was like, I want to spend as much time possible trying to analyze this because that's how my brain works. And yet, if you were to probably ask Harmony Corinne, he would say all of us are correct. Mm-hmm. that's just the kind of movies that he makes is that they are up for interpretation and he's definitely one of those directors who hates when everything has a meaning or like if everything is supposed to like explicitly be representative of one thought like that's mm-hmm. not who that guy is he's like hey if it means this to you then you're right if it means that to you then you're also right i mean that's what art should be digested as i think right he's definitely not trying to hold your hand towards a message you're gonna get out of it what you're gonna get out of it uh-huh. and so this movie sort of works as like a rorschach test a little bit sure um, so that being said, before we dive any deeper, it's time for everyone's favorite. Welcome to the morning announcements. As a reminder, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. Over at our Patreon, we offer things like our schedule ahead of time, wonderful playlists curated by Harmony our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies, and we are currently going through our TV Homecoming series through Pen15. We offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only $1. If now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend, you give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts, and you tag us on social media, hashtag thisendsatprom or at thisendsatprom. This month, we want to spotlight something that we think you will find very, very interesting. The Cosmic Game. The Cosmic Game is an original horror fantasy audio drama from the immersive production company Drunken Devil located in Los Angeles. A modern twist on classic radio dramas, the podcast tells the story of God and the devil as they try to outwit one another in an effort to gain influence over all Earth-dwelling mortals. Listeners will encounter vampires in New Orleans, ancient Roman tyrants, cults, and demons in this supernatural melodrama. 
The Cosmic Game incorporates at-home cocktail recipes curated to match each episode for an unparalleled listening experience. The first three episodes are available now wherever you get your podcasts, with new episodes releasing weekly. For more information, check out thedrunkendevil.com. T-H-E, drunkendevil.com. Alrighty, so according to our friends over at Fandango, our friend Dango, here's what Spring Breakers is all about. Brit, Ashley Benson, Faith, Selena Gomez, Candy, Vanessa Hudgens, and Cotty, Rachel Corinne, are best friends anxious to cut loose on their own spring break adventure, but they lack sufficient funds. After holding up a restaurant for quick cash, the girls head to the shore for what they discover is the party of a lifetime. They're thrown in jail and quickly bailed out by Alien, James Franco, a local rapper, drug pusher, and arms dealer who lures them into a criminal underbelly that's as lurid as it is liberating for a close-knit gang of girlfriends who are still figuring out their path. That is a surprisingly thorough plot synopsis. I was kind of shocked as well because it's actually pointing out that there is kind of a message in this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. So 2012, 2013 wasn't that long ago, but I'm curious what sort of context you have for us. Um, it's, I think, a lot of things colliding at once. Okay. As far as, like, teen-oriented fare goes. Mm -hmm. One of the most distinctive things is that this year, 2012, Twilight is coming to an end. Oh, yeah. The year before that, Harry Potter had came to an end. Mm -hmm. So what had been the bread and butter for the better part of a decade was now sort of passing the torch. Like you also had Hunger Games coming out this year. So we have still the continuation of big franchise teen fare. Especially ones built off of YA literature. Yes. However, it's the the biggest moneymakers are done. And Hunger Games is going to do well for itself, but, like, that's pretty much it. Hunger Games does well. It is not completely changed the cultural landscape the way that Harry Potter and Twilight was. Correct. So that's one area that is colliding in this one specific year. You also have sort of more, uh, I guess, artsy films, like maybe social reject kind of films. Like, you have uh, Moonrise Kingdoms comes out this year. Mm -hmm. You have Perks of Being a Wallflower comes out this year. Oh, that is a big one. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest classic sort of teen film that comes out this year. Mm -hmm. You also have stuff like uh, Snow White and the Huntsman, very much trying to capitalize on that Twilight vibes. Yeah, for sure. You have LOL with Miley Cyrus. I'm a weird defender of that movie. We will absolutely be covering it one day. Okay, sure. And you have more 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 bro, more 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 guy fairs that have done pretty well, like Project X and 21 Jump Street. Okay. Oh, I love 21 Jump Street actually. So do I. It's really funny. Exactly, but <laughs> there's not a concrete theme to what's going on here. There's lots of like small sections that are existing, and I actually think that's very fitting for this period of like teendom and America's online culture because we're seeing like the the big boom of social media like it's there's not just one game in town like it's now splintering off into different social media sites you're starting to have influencers you're starting to have like internet celebrities Mm -hmm. you're starting to have culture fracture out and not be a singularity especially Mm -hmm. for teens in a way that's not really ever happened on this scale 
I agree with you completely. And when talking about a film like Spring Breakers, Spring Breakers, I think I enjoy more now in hindsight than I did when it first came out because it is such a time capsule of 2011 to 2013. Honestly, it's more of a time capsule of 2011 and 2012, just like that year. Mm -hmm. Because what we're seeing now because of things like the internet, we're able to build our own little micro communities. You can build your brand. You can build your brand. You can kind of algorithm yourself into a bubble where you're not really expanding. So the idea of mass culture kind of doesn't exist anymore. And this movie is showcasing what like the dominant culture was pushing Mm -hmm. in a way that like a lot of us were not experiencing it. And that's really, really interesting to me. Yeah, uh, I think this is a fascinating movie to look at now, partially because I don't have any sort of exposure to what it was like when it first released. Mm -hmm. That's like a total gray area to me. But also in that I don't really have a good idea of what's going on like socially around this time period. Mm -hmm. Like 2011, 2012, 2013, I was broke as a joke. This is like sort of pre-streaming services, so Mm -hmm. I don't know what is going on there. I didn't have friends who had money, so we didn't go to the movies. We didn't, I didn't have money for TV. Like it was anything that I could not get for free. It is like a media blackout for me for a few years during the early parts of the 2010s. And so I ended up gravitating towards like YouTube Mm -hmm. and The thing with YouTube is that was one of the first really big examples you could see of young people becoming self-made. Yeah, for sure. You had like someone who was like 17 in some cases now for the first time being like, oh, they have a million followers. You know, people who are in their early 20s with 10 million followers. This is a job and this, this massive influence that these people hold over particularly like young or adolescent minds And it's controlling the zeitgeist in a way where we've never really had identifiable young celebrities build themselves like that before. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good point. I mean, obviously, child stars have always existed, but they've always been actors or singers or Mm -hmm. what have you. They're they're a part of the machine. Yeah. As opposed to YouTube, which I mean, was a machine in and of itself, but you could function as an independent creator alongside that this was before youtube really like algorithmically made itself into a corporation right yeah this is where you could still it was still kind of the wild west of the internet kind of but now you could monetize that yeah um so that made it really really interesting and another thing to keep in mind too is this time period we are getting out of the aughts where cruelty towards women was a commodity and you could use your cruelty towards women as a form of currency. Mm-hmm. Perez Hilton is starting to go on the decline. We're starting to have these conversations about, hey, I think maybe it is weird that people are openly having countdown clocks to the Olsen twins' 18th birthday. That's gross, and we should be calling that out more often. Mm-hmm. So what ends up happening is we end up getting this pendulum swing where we were talking about how, you know, people like, oh, my God, Lindsay Lohan, and there's an upskirt shot, like, what a whore, like that kind of mentality, Mm -hmm. then swung really, really hard into things like Take Back the Night and Slut Walks and a lot of this, like, not asking for it kind of uh, rebellion, which obviously 
absolutely should be a thing. And we now are embracing the liberated sexual woman in a way that we never have before because we also have things like Instagram. Mm -hmm. So we have these women that are posing half nude and it's like, I'm allowed to do this. And if you have an issue with it, that's your problem, which Mm -hmm. true. Yes, it is. But we were not having these conversations yet. So then all of a sudden it exploded. Mm -hmm. And this is also we're, we're getting into the rise of like Kardashian era. We're getting into the rise of a lot of these things that we're now seeing the results of today mm-hmm. and we're we're sort of learning how to understand that time period but we're in a transitionary period for sure between the aughts and then where we are now oh yeah i mean even if you look at the stars of this movie this is disney stars who are transitioning into that awkward and very adult disney post disney era yeah that we would see never more exemplified than by miley cyrus a few years later mm-hmm Yeah, what we're seeing here is the weird bubble where we understand that people like Vanessa Hudgens and Selena Gomez are not children, Mm -hmm. but our brains can't make that separation yet. I mean, Franco even has a line at one point where he's looking at Selena Gomez and is like, what are you, 15? And I was like, oh, yeah, with like Selena Gomez's perpetual baby face. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, you see Franco gets it. Uh And then his immediate line afterwards is, yeah, you're real pretty, though. And I'm like... Okay, Franco gets it a little too much. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, no, you made it weird, bro. Why'd you I, do that? It, it was foreshadowing of things <laughs> to come. Why are you here? I saw y'all in there. You like nice people. Thought maybe I'd bail you out. Why? Why now? Come on, y'all. Why act suspicious? Get in. All right, so diving into this, I mean, we're dealing with a group. We're dealing with four girls. So doing our typical, like, let's focus on our lead doesn't really apply for this. If there is, because you think you have a de facto lead in Faith with Mm -hmm. Selena Gomez, but then she pieces out halfway through. So Way more than halfway through. Yeah. I would say that with the exception of Selena Gomez as Faith, the other three are sort of indiscernible to the point where I had to ask you, Wait, they all look the same to me. They're all styled the same. They're all blonde. Which one was Vanessa Hudgens? Yeah. <laughs> so Well, uh, this is you're also somebody who didn't grow up like watching Vanessa Hudgens. So you I don't, don't have her know. face memorized yeah. like probably other people do. So I was like, is she one of the ones that makes it to the end of the movie? Or does she also piece I was out like, like no, after? she makes it. <laughs> okay, I was not sure. But I'd say with the exception of Faith, who is very religious, which also this movie opens with a weird professional wrestling cameo of Jeff Jarrett? J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T-T. I am shocked that you can do that. I can't. Um, it, It's like the weirdest fucking cameo in this movie. And also like, fuck Jeff Jarrett for going over Effie. Uh, you should have lost. I don't care if you're a legend. <laughs> like three people just marked out really hard for that line. Everyone else is like, I don't know what we're talking hey, about. Wrestling fans, you're going to get, you will have your day in the sun in like two weeks. I promise <laughs> you. But like, that's just a thing that this movie has and plops. And then it's just like, cool, we're moving on now. We got Jeff Jarrett as a re- an acting as a wrestler actor for this throwaway like minister role, and now cool, we're moving on to the rest of the movie. But what's so funny though is he's also so good at being like the very cool youth pastor guy. Like it's a, such like a perfect weird meta casting for him. Uh huh. It's I don't know how much acting he's doing. He's he's a southern boy. He might yeah. he might be really into the Jesus. I don't know enough about Jeff Jarrett as a person. I strongly believe that is the case though. Yeah. Either way, with the exception of Faith, I think the other three are kind of interchangeable and extensions of each other. Mm-hmm. And so breaking them down as individuals is like I don't know, man. They literally put on pink ski masks like. 
who they are becomes irrelevant. Mm -hmm. It's more of what they're doing than mm -hmm. who they are, I yeah. guess. So the, f the first thing that we really have to confront is the fact that they really, really want to go on spring break. They're tired spring of... Spring break. <laughs> they're tired of being in their dorms. They're tired of everybody else having fun. They're tired of, you know, looking at the same four walls they want to go to. So they want to go do something fun and adventurous, mm -hmm. but they don't have the money for it. So they decide to rob a restaurant because they have a squirt gun that looks really realistic. And the, what's so interesting about it to me is that you can tell that these characters are still operating under that teenage invincibility thought because they, as they're planning out this robbery, they're like, oh, just treat it like it's a video game, mm -hmm. which number one is horrifying. Uh, but number two, that's also how the army recruits people is being like, if you're good at Call of Duty, what if you did it in real life? Also horrifying. Um, uh, you you you're really good at, at Counter Strike. Oh god, that Counter Strike. I don't even know Counter Strike's still a game anymore. But like, <laughs> hey, whatever. We're gonna do drone strikes now. Yeah, just oh god. Um, so that is kind of their mentality of like how they're gonna get the money is we're gonna rub rob people and we're going to treat it like it's a video game. Like the the stakes are so high, and yet they have no they have no real discernible comprehension as to how high these stakes actually are. Like, this is so... Like, it is a casual robbery. Yeah, and, I mean, you're, you're glazing over the fact that they stole their teacher's El Camino and then lit it on fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are doing some, like, reckless shit. And what's so interesting is, as an adult, I look at this and I'm like, what the hell are you doing? But then at the same time, I'm also somebody who went to Western Illinois University, where every year they would do something called the Wheeler Block Party, which was a Midwest shit fest of people just being so belligerently drunk that I don't know how people are functioning and things would get set on fire and people would flip cars and people would try to fight cops. It was unfreaking believable. And like, none, like you're in college, you're about to go out into the real world. We're all trying to like maintain good reputations and people are like, fuck it, set it on fire. Who cares? Let's tear down the street signs. And, like, there's just no comprehension of, like, what it is because everyone is in the mindset of, like, I'm 19, I'm going to live forever, who cares? I mean, this is also the same year that we got Project X as a movie. Right. Subscribe to our Patreon to listen to our episode on that one. Right. But, like, th th we are in that party mindset. Like, this movie, the way I was describing it to someone when we were hanging out at the park earlier today with th that is that this movie is dubstep the movie. Because it really is. And... I've had people who know a lot more about like electronic music than I do go, oh no, Skrillex isn't dubstep. Skrillex is bro step because he's for the bros and for like drinking and partying. And that Not tracks. for doing drugs and partying because those are two <laughs> different things. But like, you know what though? As somebody who has partied on both, they are two different parties. I know, but like somebody went out of their way to overly explain Skrillex to me. And I just think that that's absurd. Uh, I liked him better when he was in from first to last. Well, aren't you a little emo pretentious hipster? <laughs> <laughs> but all of that aside, this is actually an interesting conversation point that I want to bring up because obviously we're both people who went to school at points in our lives. Mm -hmm. We've had spring breaks. Mm -hmm. However, a big difference between you and I is that I didn't go to college, so I didn't have college spring breaks. Yeah. Because the big difference I could think of is that you have to go home to your parents when you're in high school. In college, you're out on your own. It's so much more of a wide open world of possibilities mm -hmm. and debauchery. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because college is this very weird time. And this is obviously not everybody has the same collegiate experience. But for a lot of people, like myself, who went to an underfunded state school, going to college is like being trapped in an, an alternative universe. Like, I had to go to class, obviously. I had to pay attention and do things. But there was literally no one who could stop me if I was like, you know what? It's a Tuesday at four o'clock and I don't have class until noon tomorrow. I'm going to do all of the drugs and Mm -hmm. just hang out in a dorm room. And like as long as you didn't get busted by an RA, no one really gave a shit. Or you could just go to houses because that's another thing in college towns. They just let children (laughs) rent houses. Mm -hmm. And like it's just... It blows my mind sometimes when I think about it because I lived in a amazing house with three other guys, all theater people, and our house had like four living rooms in it and a humongous kitchen. And we had parties there all the fucking time. And it was so much fun. But I think about it, I'm like, this is insanity. I would never do that in my apartment. Are you kidding me? That many people drinking Kyle's Jungle Juice? Sorry, Kyle, for throwing you under the bus. <laughs> B- but like, BJ, didn't your house have a nickname when you were in college? <laughs> <laughs> you okay? Well, we used to always call it like the house of BJ because it was my name and everyone's favorite <laughs> extracurricular activity. Yeah, see, there you go. That's the kind of home <laughs> that we are talking about. Right. So like, yeah, we would throw like wild as hell parties. But, like, yeah, it was one of those situations where, like, you would get the giant Gatorade cooler thing that you would, that you see dumped at, like, the Super Bowl and stuff. And it would be filled with, like, a handle of Everclear and a thing of Sunny D and a handle of Grey Goose and a, like, just so much alcohol. I don't know how we were alive. It's ridiculous. Because kids can bounce back from anything. I mean, kind of, yeah. Sometimes I think about how much I drank in college and then did not get hungover. And I'm like, I would kill for that. Are you kidding me? But then at the same time, like, I also never want to feel that drunk ever again in my life because it was obscene. Or like we were watching a TikTok the other day and it was a girl that was like POV, you have to use the bathroom in a frat house. And it's the grossest thing you've ever seen in your life. And I had like an audible like uh, response because I know what those bathrooms look like. And I had to explain to you like, no, 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 that's not a joke. That is what they look like. They're horrifying. I don't like that. But also this, see, this is so fascinating for me because in high school, I don't know if I've I've probably mentioned this on the show. In high school throughout it, I was straight edge, mostly because everyone in my school did a ton of drugs. Like, just like, oh yeah, I snorted the pain pills that I stole from my grandmother as I crushed them up in English class and then (laughs) snorted them off the dirty ass desk. Like... People were not sober for large portions of my high school. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, yeah, I'm, I don't like what you're doing. So I'm going to just abstain willfully from that. To which the response I always got was, what? You're so boring. You don't know how to, fu- you, you, you are, you're no fun. You don't know how to fu- fun because you don't do anything. And I'm like, well, I like to think that I'm actually very fun because I know how to have fun without being drunk out of my mind but okay so i i have no context for this world on a first-hand experience like i drink now but like i Mm -hmm. met actual straight edge people and they were the most pretentious horrible people i'd ever met (laughs) but like i I still sort of had that mentality and that i i don't like drugs because 
like you saying like, oh, I don't want to be that drunk ever again. It's like, okay, drinking, I can kind of control where I'm at. I can, mm-hmm. as long as you don't go too fast, you can sort of get to your, your happy place and then just coast. Mm-hmm. With any kind of drug, it's like, hope, hope the dosage is right because you're, you're along for a ride. Yeah, pretty much. And I, mean... I don't like the idea of that. That I don't like to surrender that kind of control. And this whole movie is about thinking you have more control than you do. Mm-hmm. And these girls have no idea how little control over every situation they have. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're you're absolutely right. And I mean, so they, they go down to Florida and they're, I think they're in like St. Petersburg is where they end up. Sure. All Florida is the same to me. Is it basically, is it Disney Florida or the rest of Florida? That's my only. Well, there's like different pockets. There's like scary Florida and then there's like progressive party Florida. And then there's like just crazy white trash Florida. I don't spend a lot of time in Florida. I don't know these things. There's a lot of different areas of Florida. Florida's actually, okay. Florida is a lot like if Ohio had good weather all the time where there's pockets of it that are like really cool and really progressive and really fun. And then pockets of it where it's like, I literally can't go there because it's illegal for me to exist. Well, I mean, on one hand, you say good weather. I say it's muggy and also the storms may steal my house. You know, a good point. (laughs) So I think that that's debatable. But then again, Florida does have gators and Ohio doesn't. So Florida might win. (laughs) So there was an interview with Harmony Corinne in The Guardian. Uh, The author on this is Alex Godfrey. And they were talking a lot about this movie kind of where his inspirations came from. And there's so many great little tidbits in here that I kind of want to spring on. So here's the first one. Every March for a week, U.S. college kids descend on a beach resort of their choice and proceed to wreck the place and themselves. Spring Breakers uses this annual ritual as the springboard into darker territory, filtering the neon debauchery through a fantastical looking glass, infusing it with dread. Corinne, writer of Larry Clark's Kids and director of Gummo and Trash Humpers, began amassing research to make paintings to make paintings attracted to the contrast between the violent sexual content and the childlike poppy colors and images there was something hyper impressionistic and wild about the whole idea of it and i'd never seen it done in an interesting way he says also just in metaphorical terms even the phrase spring break and what it represents what it can be the idea of destruction and innocence disappearing into the night i like that I do, too, because something you brought up earlier when we were talking about just spring break in general is you brought up this idea of, like, girls gone wild, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you think of spring break, I think that's where a lot of people of a certain age kind of go to. Or, like, MTV spring break, which is, like, the less titty-filled version of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think – and I feel like I might actually have to do this given the huge age range of listeners that we have. Girls Gone Wild was a very popular – series of films that were frequently advertised after midnight on Comedy Central. I think or that's... Or like Spike TV. Or like Spike TV, and, yeah. Any of the channels in that pocket. Where essentially what they would do is this horrible human being would go around. They sometimes had vans. They sometimes had whatever. But they would go to places like Mardi Gras, Spring Break, wherever. And they would find girls that are so drunk that they usually are just out of control mm-hmm. and they would film them flashing the cameras or getting naked or making out or doing whatever and the whole idea is that it was playing off of the kind of like amateur porn fetish yeah but it's 
a lot of really, really drunk girls. And they're barely legal. A lot of them are barely legal because they're college age. Some of them were not legal, and that's what eventually shut Girls Gone Wild down. Yes. Um, it, it was a whole thing. And, like, the whole gimmick of it all was out-of-control girls on spring break. Mm-hmm. Like, that was the appeal. Yeah. Harmony Crin is very aware of that because the opening of this movie is titties. Mm-hmm. It is slow motion, jiggly titties with alcohol being poured on them and just absolute teenage debauchery. There's a lot of scenes of slow motion titties mm-hmm. and like drinking, doing body shots mm-hmm. and blow. Doing body lines. Yeah. yeah there's, a, there's a whole lot of that sprinkled throughout this movie up until maybe like the last... 30 minutes Mm -hmm. and then it gets dark yeah and then it's not about that anymore because you're in too deep and what i think is very interesting is harmony crin is totally right is that you have this week on spring break where people are doing things that they normally would not do Mm -hmm. and are acting a way that they normally would not act and all of these people are gonna leave the resort on saturday or sunday and then they're all gonna go back to their college campuses some of them probably became elementary school teachers. Mm-hmm. Some of them became lawyers. Some of them became, I don't know, meteorologists, what what have you. Mm-hmm. But it's this idea is that for one week, though, every year, everybody kind of becomes whatever they want and does whatever they want to do. It's almost primal. It's like going on Rumspringa. You, you are enslaved by the party. Yeah. it's It's wild. And... So in this in this article, Harmony talks about even writing the movie and uh, decided to write it during spring break. And he goes to Panama City and he goes, I checked into the Holiday Inn and I was at ground zero. It was madness. Kids just destroying shit, fucking in hallways, setting golf carts on fire, blasting Taylor Swift 24 hours a day. It was cool, but it was really hard to write in that environment. The hotel would be shaking, and I couldn't deal with it, so I drove 20 minutes away and checked into a Marriott on a golf course. It was filled with dwarves, and I asked the receptionist, and she said that Hulk Hogan was filming a reality show. So at night, I'd go swimming, and there would be all of these dwarves sitting at the edge of the pool smoking cigars, and it was very calm, so I finished it there. I... Love that, and also I hate that. <laughs> I, I like I've seen the Spring Break episode of King of the Hill. I get a general idea of what that's about. Um, I can say, as someone who has bartended for a, a good portion of my adult life now, there are fewer things that scare me than specifically white drunk people, because mm-hmm. no one feels more entitled to do whatever they want than white drunk people. And I we see a lot of that in this movie. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's why, like, this is going to be coming out around St. Patrick's Day, and that's why drinking holidays are probably the worst times of year for me, even if I don't work them, because I hate people who feel entitled to do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And they've lost their inhibition, and there's mob mentality, and you never know what's going to fucking happen in a really unpleasant way. No, you're totally right. And that's something that starts to happen in here. So when they first get down there, it seems like a typical spring break. Like they're going on the beach, they're having fun, they rent a bunch of Vespas and like run sure. through the city and they're having yeah. a great time. They're in bikinis like 24-7, everything's awesome. Mm-hmm. But then they go to a party at a hotel and it is 
pandemonium. There mm-hmm. are drugs everywhere. There's sex everywhere. There's people breaking things. They're jumping up and down and just punching through the ceiling tiles, just going off the rails. Uh-huh. And what's interesting is apparently this was a like kind of abandoned hotel, and Harmony Crin talked to the owners and was like, hey, can we just destroy this since it's closed down? And the guy's like, yeah, that's fine. Okay. Because they cool. were going to tear it down anyway. Sure. So they really did just like hire a bunch of extras and go, go nuts. And they like, <laughs> that was their direction oh, was what? to tear it the fuck down. What in the Viva La Bam is that? Yeah, right. Oh. <laughs> so they're at this party. They're, you know, going off the rails doing stuff that they normally wouldn't have. We do get to see a little bit of hesitancy from Selena Gomez, who is, you know, a little bit more religious than the rest of the group. She's reserved. Yeah, she's a bit more reserved. So she's a, she's a bit uncomfortable with how intense things are going. You know what? Same. Yeah, I'd be too. <laughs> um, but they get busted. And suddenly it's like, okay, the real world has set in. Oh, no. Guess and what? You get to spend the night in a jail cell in your bikinis. Yeah, the judge. But that's cold. They have to, they have to stay, stay a night in, in the... They have to stay a night before they go before the judge. And then when they go before the judge, he's like, you either can do two days more in jail or you can pay a fine. They obviously don't have the money. So they're like, I guess we're going to spend two days in jail. Going to lose that precious spring break mm-hmm. time. And that's when, for the first time, you you think maybe they're going to realize y'all have gone in too deep. Like, the consequences of their actions. Mm-hmm. But alas, the universe provides and it is sorted out for them. Yes, because a savior appears from outer space in in the form of James Franco as alien because he sees them in the courtroom and is like, I I got some ideas because he's not a great guy. Like, let's no. be honest. He's, he's not a great guy. Nope. I don't know why I said that as if anybody's going to disagree with me. <laughs> anybody's going to sit there and go, but BJ, he bailed them out. But actually. It's, it's the conversation he has with Selena Gomez before she leaves Uh where she clearly wants to say why she's uncomfortable like I'm scared of where I am I'm scared of the people here but she's not gonna say that because that's dangerous and he's like and so she's coming up with excuses of like well I I don't want to be here I this isn't what I wanted Uh, I went to jail and he's like I didn't put you in jail that's not my fault. I got you out of jail. Mm-hmm. Like so, he's, he's trying. So manipulative. He's trying to paint himself as a good guy. Yeah, and that's kind of like the defense you have, where it's he's giving them everything they wanted, mm-hmm. absolutely everything they wanted, including the danger that they think is fun, minus faith. Mm-hmm. This isn't why we came here. Why'd you come here? I don't like where we're from, so I thought that if we came here that we could be free or just have fun. Okay. You know what we're doing? And we having fun? No. What kind of fun did, did you want to have? Not going to jail. Well, you're out of jail now. I didn't get you in jail. I got you out of jail. So don't put that on me. I don't know you. All right. And? I don't know what you want with me and my friends, but you should leave us alone. I'm just trying to be nice. So he bails them out of jail, and obviously Faith still understands that this is not good. Like, they Mm -hmm. were just arrested. Whereas, like, Britt and Candy especially are like, cool, thanks, universe, this is awesome. And, like, they really don't care. Cotty's a little hesitant. Faith is absolutely hesitant. And it's one of those things where, like, 
as much as I'm glad that they didn't have to spend any more time within the prison system as possible, because I don't want anyone to, because sure. especially when you don't have clothes, abolish prisons and abolish the police. Yes. Um, but I feel like them getting let out just only exacerbated things and only perpetuated this invincibility narrative in their minds. Oh, it's like if someone says, "Like, oh, is the stove hot?" and you go, "Well, touch the stove. You'll never do it again." But the stove doesn't burn you. Mm-hmm. Like you've touched it and go, I have superpowers. I'm invincible. This didn't hurt me. Right. I'm going to burn everything down now. Right. And I, I like because I, I have, I have friends who have gotten in trouble with the law, and due to a combination of forces, whether it be white privilege, pretty privilege, crying white girl syndrome, what have you have not been held fully accountable to the extent that they probably should have. Mm-hmm. And in some instances, these friends have gotten their shit together and are doing much better, and I'm very happy for them. Mm-hmm. And in other instances, they have only spiraled out even worse because yeah. they have never, they've never hit rock bottom. They've never been slapped in the face by reality and, and been made to realize there are consequences to your actions. As of right now, these girls got fucking arrested and they got bailed out by a stranger. So, like, no one really is ever going to have to know what happened to them. No. Um, here, here, Here's a parallel that I want to draw between something you and I both hold near and dear to our hearts and this movie. We love 80s hair metal in this household, don't we? Oh, we sure do. We were supposed to see Motley Crue, Poison. I think Joan Jett was on that Joan tour. Jett and I don't remember who the Def last Leopard. one was. Def Leppard. I've seen Def Leppard live. They're not very good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we were supposed to see them all in a big hair metal supercard, but it got canceled because of COVID. I would have loved that. Mm-hmm. would have been great. Mostly I want to see Motley Crue and Joan Jett is also fine. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing here. The 80s was perhaps the most decadent time to be a rock star ever. Oh, yeah. It's like, unquestionable. Like, maybe the 70s during, like, a very unique thing, if you were, like, the upper echelon bands, like a Led Zeppelin or, or a Black Sabbath, you could get away with doing some really debaucherous stuff. But during the 80s, it's everything we see in the decline of Western civilization, mm-hmm. part two, I think. Yeah, it's part two. So the thing that I find interesting about that is that rock stars don't really need to grow up as long as the universe keeps providing for them. Mm-hmm. If you keep getting hits and keep making money, or at the very least are good with your money, nothing matters. Nikki Six died. Mm-hmm. And then they had to bring him back from the dead. They got sober, and then he got fucked up again. Mm-hmm. Because, eh, whatever. I, death can't kill me. These, are, these were essentially children who never had to grow up. Mm-hmm. Alien, who I almost just called Riff Raff, is a child <laughs> who never had to grow up. These girls are children who do not want to grow up. Mm-hmm. They only bail out of this situation when it stops being fun. Mm-hmm. And, and they all have their different levels of when it stops yeah, being it's fun. It's all subjective for them. Obviously, Faith bails out first because she has the moral compass. So sure. she's out pretty much immediately. Uh, Cotty leaves. Because she gets shot. She gets shot in a drive-by. Yeah. Because that's by the Gucci th- Mane. By Gucci Mane. Because that's the thing. When so first off, Harmony Crin offered Gucci Mane the role while he was still in prison and was like, <laughs> "Hey, dude, as long as you don't fuck up again, I have a role for you." And Gucci Mane was like, "Bet I'm not gonna fuck up." Like, 
That's really funny. Um, but yeah, Cotty gets shot in a drive-by because here's the thing. There is always a catch. There is every, nothing in, there is no such thing as a free lunch. No, of course not. There is no such thing as James Franco bailing you out of jail for free. He's an arms dealer. He's a drug dealer. He's a wannabe rapper. He's getting them involved in his mess. He basically has a big, scary, violent playhouse littered with money and nunchucks and all sorts of other goofy shit that is the coolest stuff imaginable when you're like 15. Right. And Franco's probably like 32. Right. So like, and the thing too is these girls could leave at any moment Mm -hmm. because two of them do. They leave just fine. Sure. But you can tell that there's sort of this, like, guilt feeling that they have, like, well, this guy bailed us out. We should probably hang out. We should probably do something. At least for a little bit. At least for a little bit. And what ends up happening is (laughs) they get involved because it's fun and it's exciting and it's something to do and they still feel really fearless. Yeah, it's spring break. It's spring break, you know. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. And obviously, after. After Faith leaves is when things really kick up a notch because she's been kind of keeping them a little bit more grounded. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus has left the party, so now they're... Jesus has left the building. <laughs> yeah, Jesus left the building, so now they're all wiling out. And yeah, Cotty gets shot. And like, it should be a way bigger deal than it actually is. But no, like, they just bandage her up, and then she leaves, and then they go about their business. Mm-hmm. And they like call their parents really casually. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, no, it's fine. We're just hanging out. We, we met some people. Um, they're from all over. It's just really nice to see all these people coming from different places. And, and we got some scooters and rode around town. Like, you know, it's just been a fun little time. Like, mm-hmm. they, are so, they, they are so well rehearsed in the exact thing that they're doing. Because they're lying to their parents. But they also, like, practice being like Bonnie and Clyde type gangsters where mm-hmm. they're like, get on your fucking knees. And you see them practicing it on each other in the parking lot. And I think that's where Faith first gets her thing of like, oh, this is going in a direction I don't like. Yes. And then later they pull the guns on Alien and stick them in his mouth. And it's like, that's right. Suck it. Uh-huh. Suck it. And it's, he does. Yeah, Just he Double does. penetration of, of two silenced pistols in his mouth. Um, But they, they've, they've clearly got this idea of what they want to happen. Mm-hmm. And they're it's happening. They're achieving these dreams mm-hmm. while also lying to their parents because this is spring break. Spring break is a fantasy. Yes. And, and the fantasy can't leave can't like Candyland Candy can't leave Candyland. Right, 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 right. So so going back to this Guardian article, it says, despite all that, however, Corinne is making a clear cultural statement with his casting. Completing Gomez's Vixen Quartet are Vanessa Hudgens from Disney's High School Musical films, Ashley Benson from the TV series Pretty Little Liars, and Corrine's wife, Rachel. It was the dream, the ultimate dream for me, he says. As I was writing it, I thought, if you could have the dream, what would it be? And the dream would be these girls and what they represent. There's obviously something very exciting about working with these girls who are in some ways in real life representative of that culture and that pop mythology and also people that who the public can identify as personalities that are in complete contrast to what they're portraying in the film. I love that the part is a conceptual shock on top of the actual film. That is such an important thing on top of all of this when you talk about like the dream because when you're dealing with spring break and it is a fantasy land the fact that you are now using this meta casting of these girls who represent that ideal like you can use them as a symbol right Mm -hmm. like even if you don't see 
candy for candy. And here's the thing. I don't. When I watch this movie, I'm like, that's Vanessa Hudgens. That's Selena Gomez. That is Ashley Benson. Like, that's where my brain goes. So when you're seeing them act out in this way, the message of this movie, which, like, obviously is up to interpretation because that's how it was written, becomes so much stronger because it does feel like that death of innocence. Mm -hmm. It feels like you're playing with fire with this innocence because that's who your brain is wired to see. Like, if these were some girls that we didn't know and were, you know, built like absolute knockouts, or if these were girls that had done porn or whatever like obviously no shame in porn but it doesn't have the same impact of that message because like your your brain sees them a certain way doing porn and doing disney channel are two polar opposites they're two polar opposites society values these things in very different ways exactly and like obviously we are not moralizing it in any stretch of the imagination we're talking from the perspective of the public at large. Yeah, sure. Like, that's how that works. It's the same reason why, like, I defend the movie Barbed Wire so much and talk about how people didn't understand it because it came out the same time as their stolen honeymoon tape. Mm-hmm. And people were like, well, I can't take this seriously because I've seen Pay Manners and Naked, which is fucking fucked it, up. It feels, first of all, uh, Barbed Wire fucking rules. Yes. I love it so much. The first 30 minutes is awesome. The end 30 minutes is awesome. The middle part is a little like, eh, well, we didn't have a lot of money, but it's still pretty awesome. (laughs) That said, I think most people treated that film the way that like, I've heard this line from like a million dads or uncles or guys who are repeating lines that they heard from their dads or their uncles of like, why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? Right. So, like, that's why their casting is so crucial in making this, like, fantasy parable happen. Mm -hmm. Because you need somebody that your brain looks at and goes, oh, no, no, no. But these aren't, quote, unquote, bad girls. These are good girls. We're watching the corruption of good girls. Mm -hmm. And obviously, like, they're they're making their own choices. This is not corruption. They're doing it because they want to. And that is so hard for people to process, mm-hmm. is the idea that these girls could be capable of wanting to be as active of a participant in all of these crimes as Alien. The pe- like, Alien is just giving them the tools mm-hmm. and giving them the situations to enact these fantasies that they have. Yeah. Like, but- that's the only thing that's changed here. But let's 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 dial this back even further. Why is this the fantasy? Yes. Okay. Beautiful. Let's let's dive into that. Why is this the fantasy? So for me, thinking about like 2012 and like this whatever, there was this allure of like, if I show my boobs on TV, I could get noticed and maybe I could become famous. Or could be in one of Gucci Mane's videos or something. Right. If I'm if I'm in if I'm in a rap video, like if I make if I make good with this guy, like I could be the next Amber Rose. Like there was this mentality that existed with a lot of people because we started seeing these celebrities who were becoming famous for being famous. Mm-hmm. And then we were also getting these self-made people. Like obviously Alien is not a one-to-one of Riff Raff, but why do we know who Riff Raff is? Vine. Be- because of Vine. Because of that video of him saying like my main goal is to blow up and act like I don't know nobody. Or him singing <laughs> Santeria. Yes. Summertime. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Getting Jody Husky in on it. Like we saw these 
people become famous because of that. They and are then characters. It, they become characters. And yeah. then in your brain, you're like, oh, well, this is attainable. Mm-hmm. Like, this is real. Like, if I get in with this guy, like, I can have everything that I want. And when you see some guy like Alien, as doofy as he looks, who does have suitcases full of money and endless drugs. And a and grand pe- piano outside his pool on the beach. Yes. And he sings Britney Spears. Yes. Like, when you see stuff like that, you're like, oh, this is the height of luxury. Like, you don't think well, about. sort of. You, well, <laughs> at that age. Yeah. yeah. That's what your brain thinks. You're like, this is amazing. I've never seen anything like this. So then that becomes the dream of like, well, this is clearly what I want. I want to have this excess. I want parties all the time. I want money. I want fame. I want notoriety. Mm-hmm. I want attention. Well, all of that is really, really at the root of it. All of the stuff that is given to you there, whether the fame, the the notoriety, the money, what that grants you outside of the goods themselves is freedom. And that's what they want. They talk in literal terms at the start of this movie about how they don't want to be trapped in their small towns, their college towns, their hometowns, whatever. They don't want to be stuck there and just become someone else. Mm-hmm. This is, if only for a week... This is an escape. Mm-hmm. You're, you, you got out and are living the dream. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really, really good way of putting it. And um, so there's another article that I want to mention of somebody who did uh, kind of a revisit of the film a bit later. And uh, they wrote this as a defense and they compared it to like the new American dream, right? Because, like, Harmony, if I were to ask you, like, what's the American dream? What does it mean to you? Like, what do you think it means? Um, I think of being in, like, sixth grade social studies and us learning about all of the immigrants from Ireland and, and Serbia coming to America on boats and seeing the Statue of Liberty and working their way up from indentured servants <laughs> right. into their own business owners that they would pass on to their family for Two generations. <laughs> right. Like, that, that's what I think of as the American dream, as it was reiterated to me over and over again. Right. So so this writer, Amanda Nix, for Film Inquiry, talks about the American dream within the confines of this film and says, Throughout each generation, the American dream has been immensely distorted. The American dream has always symbolized a way to obtain a quote-unquote better life, and while the conceptual idea may still be the same, the fascination with what a better life means to each generation has changed dramatically. In Spring Breakers, Harmony Crin was able to encapsulate our obsession with modern standards of self-importance that coincides with a sort of video game approach to the way we treat other people. In the year 2012, and even now, there's a weird fascination with extreme violence and becoming a self-made millionaire through SoundCloud rapping. I'm in no way criticizing what may appeal to someone. In fact, can you blame the way our generation views the American dream? We've all been raised on social media that desensitizes the way we view the world, along with the upbringing of a violent America that would rather showcase brutality in film instead of the human body. While this doesn't include our entire generation, I don't have the urge to do random acts of violence. Harmony Corinne very smartly keyed into the fact that while many of us don't plan on committing crimes for fun, there's a general appeal to what our society attributes to people who successfully do. Yeah. Um, like, my brain just goes into, like, the Grand Theft Autoism of society. Well, like, of course. Which, like, violent video games don't lead to violence. No, not at all. But there is the, uh, the, the, the freedom of getting to do what you want. Like, I played Grand Theft Auto as, like, a 15-year-old, 16-year-old. I did not give a shit about trying to catch the damn train, CJ. I just wanted to, like, ride around and cause mayhem. Mm-hmm. Because, it's, again, it's freedom. 
Right. And, like, I love the idea of this movie being an approach to the world in, like, a video game style because that's what this kind of feels like. It feels uh-huh. like I'm watching a live-action version of, like, a Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Like, that's what's happening here because everything is done so casually. Like, the stakes are not – they are so high, but they are not presented as being so high, which is just wild Well, to yeah, me. like – Alien gets gunned down in the head, and then there's not even, like, a second thought. It's like, oh, no, we're just going to step over his body and keep going. Yeah, it's like, we got to keep going. We got to kill some more people and tear them down. And, and honestly, the wearing, like, the pink ski mask with the unicorns on them and, like, bikinis that are glowing in blacklight, it's such the thing when you're playing a video game and you've customized your character and they look absurd next to everything else going on around them. Yeah, for real. It, it's such that, though. And I, I don't know. I just think that's really fucking... I just think that that's a really good way to put it. But here's here's the thing for you, BJ. Um, Would you like to share with the listeners um, what, like, your third graders and your fifth graders wanted to do for careers back when you used to teach? Oh, they all either want to be Twitch streamers or SoundCloud rappers. That's the American dream. Like, that is the American dream. Like, they don't think of doing other professions anymore. Mm -hmm. And, like, obviously, I would always have, like, a couple kids who are like, I want to be a teacher. I want to be a doctor. But overwhelmingly... I'm going to be a Twitch streamer. I'm going to be a SoundCloud rapper. Because here's the thing about that. It feels so much more obtainable. Mm-hmm. Like, granted, there's no money in that unless you actually manage to break through a ceiling. You don't have to go but to medical school for that, though. Exactly. Like, you can just, like, sit in your bedroom with, like, I don't know, $120 worth of equipment. And theoretically, you can make money. And theoretically, you can make a living. And you mm-hmm. did it yourself. To me, it feels like... The employment aspiration of winning a scratch-off lottery ticket. Kind of. Where, like, there are so many people, like, the odds are so not in your favor, but you never know. Yeah. And, like, it's that little bit you of hope. You gotta try. You never yeah. know unless you try. Yeah. It's that it's, little bit of hope that keeps you going. It's that thing your parents tell you where it's like, if you work real hard, you too can be president. If you work real hard and get real lucky, you too can be a Twitch streamer. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, like, and that's not to say that those are not real jobs. Like, people who do them, they work really, really hard. No, and... I've been watching the same Let's Players for 10 years. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> like, it, it, it is a profession. It's just a very difficult one to break the mold into. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we let people know that as often because we love to talk about these, like, rags for riches stories or, like, these influencers that came out of nowhere kind of stories. But we don't ever realize, like, how impossible it kind of is to get there and mm-hmm. and also to maintain it because unlike professional athletes or actors or whoever if you become a, like a huge influencer and kind of blow up overnight there's no safety net for you mm-hmm. you don't have an entire team of people to protect you from going on TikTok and airing out your dirty laundry and ruining you and all of your other influencer friends' brands in the process. Mm -hmm. Like that, there's no one to help you do that because it's this weird area where you're a celebrity, but you're still a random citizen, but you're held to the same standard as a celebrity, but you don't have the team or the preparation or the support like you would if you were a celebrity because at the end of the day, you kind of still are a regular person. Mm -hmm. Like, it's this bizarro world that we throw people into. And this movie embraces that bizarro world because somebody like Franco's character can be a god. Mm -hmm. At least in his own mind. 
at least in his own mind, and also to them because yeah. it's a cult of personality. They yeah. buy into it because he represents something that they think that they want, or at least something that can get them to what they want. Yeah. So they're they're in on it. Sure. I mean, if they were as evil as they thought they were, and if they did not care about him, they would have just shot him in the head. Mm-hmm. When he was given his look at my shit, look speech. at my shit, look at my shit. I am the goddamn Hoover Dam up in this bitch. <laughs> I am the goddamn Vern Troyer up in this bitch. Look at my shit. <laughs> just like all of these inane things that are just coming into his mind, and he is uttering. <laughs> Some people they want to do the right thing. I like doing the wrong thing. Everyone's always telling me, "Yo, you got to change." I'm about stacking change, y'all. Stacking change. That's it. Money. I'm about making money. That's the dream, y'all. That's the American dream. That's it. I did it. Most of my brothers and sisters, they dead. It was all bad. We got murdered. I'm the last one standing. I'm bad as they is. Just in our blood, y'all. But I love it. This was my dream. I made it come true. This is the fucking American dream, y'all. Going back on this idea, though, that this is also a fantasy, we have to talk about my favorite thing in the entire movie. Sure. We have to talk about the Britney Spears of this movie. Yeah. The the multiple Britney Spears so, of this movie? Britney Spears' music pops up multiple times in this movie, but obviously the big centerpiece is the piano performance of every time where they're all singing together and then it cuts to Britney singing and it is a montage of violence mm. and it is them shooting people, stealing money, like going again off the rails, but now it's not party off the rails. Yeah. It is legitimate they, criminal activity. They are they are killing and robbing spring breakers, which that's what Gucci Mane's character is mad at Alien for doing because he's doing this petty crime shit that is hurting his operation. Mm-hmm. So uh, first of all, I think that this movie was the first time I heard that Britney Spears song because I don't really listen to Britney Spears or a lot of pop stars songs outside of like their five biggest hits Mm -hmm. so that was an interesting thing watching you and an entire chat room of moviegoers go like oh my god i'm like what the fuck is this this i thought he was gonna start playing runaway by kanye because that was what the setup looked like Mm -hmm. but that song wasn't out yet Mm -hmm. (laughs) for the record that's my favorite kanye song yes i know it's pretentious whatever So I want to I wanna draw on a couple of lyrics from every time because I truly think it is the perfect song for the sure. situation. Hit me. It's perfect in a couple of reasons. One is perfect because Britney Spears, you know, this is way, 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 way before we're getting free Britney movement. We're, we're firmly we are, between umbrella Britney and current Britney. Yeah. So like it's we've gotten a little bit of comeback Britney, but we still it's fresh in our minds that. Britney is capable of shaving her head and like having a mental breakdown in public. Uh-huh. So that is that is the Britney that we're dealing with. But this song is from a bit a bit earlier and oh god, I just I love it so much. Okay. So, every time I try to fly, I fall. Without my wings, I feel so small. I guess I need you, baby. And every time I see you in my dreams, I see your face. It's haunting me. I guess I need you, baby. So first off, every time I try to fly, I fall. That 
to me, I think is like the the mindset in the back of the head of every single girl in this movie mm-hmm. of like they're trying so hard and things keep falling apart. But oh, we've got these wings. We've got this dude here who is helping us get through this and like helping us reach those fantasy lands that we want to get to. I guess we need him. I guess we need him. So at this point in the movie, when that hits, they do need Alien. And then after they've done some some digging around with him, after they've had their weird pool threesome that I'm sure gave them yeast infections, because do not have sex in pools, people. There's absolutely no chance that he routinely cleans his pool. But also, just don't have sex in pools. It's bad. The pH is going to fuck you up. You don't need that. It's not as sexy as it sounds. Showgirls lied. <laughs> so don't do that. Also, Wild Things. Also, so many other movies. Yes, right? it's all bad. Don't do that. It's bad for you. It's bad for your punani. Stop. I don't even like shower sex. That's also not fun. Cause yeah. I don't want. I just don't want to be wet like that. <laughs> like, but also the water dries you out. It dries out the self lubrication of your body. Anyway, true. We're, it, it, I, fine. Like, we don't need to get into the semantics of shower sex. But maybe on the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> but after they after they get through all of that, they realize. They do not need him. He needs them. Uh-huh. They are in the power position. They are his militia. They are his militia, but like they are in control. Like if they peace out and bounce, he ha- he kind of has nothing. Uh-huh. Um, so that spikes up that invincibility again. And now this is them kind of leaning into they're they're not the every time Britney. Now they're the stronger Britney. And like while that song doesn't play, but like that's who they are. Uh-huh. And it's so interesting to me now, obviously, in hindsight, knowing that Britney Spears does win, does get what she deserves, mm-hmm. does get to hold the people who hurt her accountable, that these girls end up making it out alive and Alien doesn't. Yeah, He gets killed like immediately upon their ambush and then they go in and take out a whole fucking gang and kill Gucci Mane. Yeah. <laughs> and like, that's wild as fuck. Like these two average college students cause all of this mayhem and then they leave and they just go back to school and they go back to their lives. After the credits start rolling and the rest of their lives begin, what does that even look like for them, you think? I don't even know. Like, because that Again, changes they haven't, you. They ha- well, it changes them, but also they haven't learned anything yet. But then at the same time, too, it it kind of has this what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas mentality of like, hey, remember that spring break when we like killed 10 people? Like, whoa, that was wild, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> like, it's it's just so wild. And it's like, as this writer put for Film Inquiry, we are able to laugh at ridiculously over-the-top characters and alarming scenes like that because they seem so far removed from reality. And the only way that this movie works is that the very premise is that it's supposed to feel like a fever dream. If this were shot in a lucid, realistic way, the amusing elements go away and we're stuck with just really frightening imagery. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And like, yeah, that's very, very I, true. I feel like that's like we're seeing that now 10 years later with Euphoria. Yes. Like, imagine, yes. Imagine Euphoria is filmed like, I don't know, fucking Oz. It would be the most miserable show. <laughs> right? It would be so awful. Like, like a show like that without the stylized aspects of it is just like a really sad A&E documentary. Like, it, it turns into like women in prison or like true life. Like, it becomes bleak and sad and awful. Yeah, mom, it was really great. I think we found ourselves here. 
we finally got to see some other parts of the world. We saw some beautiful things here. Things we'll never forget. We got to let loose. God, I can't believe how many new friends we made. Friends from all over the place. I mean, everyone was so sweet here. So warm and friendly. I know we made friends that will last us a lifetime. We met people who are just like us. People just the same as us. Everyone was just trying to find themselves. It was way more than just having a good time. We're different people now. We see things differently. More colors, more love, more understanding. God, it was so nice to get a break from reality for a little while. I know we have to go back to school, but we'll always remember this trip. Something so amazing, magical, something so beautiful. Feels as if the world is perfect, <laughs> like it's never gonna end. So kind of circling back to something we said at the very, very beginning is that this movie feels like a time capsule. Mm -hmm. And we talk all the time on the show about teen movies being time capsules for what is cool right then and there. So I'm going to read this to you because it just like the second I read this passage, I was like, oh, oh my gosh. Uh huh. So Harmony Corinne, whether planned or not, made a fever dream period piece about 2012. And maybe the reason why everyone found the movie disturbing is because the year 2012 was a fever dream in itself. Need I have to remind everyone that there were people who genuinely believed that the world was going to end in 2012? You can even take out the fact that Spring Breakers takes place in Florida, a fever dream breeding place for movies like The Florida Project, Magic Mike, Cars 3. Oh, yay, Cars 3. <laughs> <laughs> but then you can just hear the words Coney 2012 and automatically be transported back into a very specifically weird time. Uh-huh. Do you remember Coney 2012? I was not on social media very much at that point, but even I knew what it was, yes. So for our friends who may not know what Coney 2012 was, it is impossible to explain how quickly that this went viral and how intensely it went viral. Mm -hmm. So basically, it was a documentary film produced by the people who made this thing called Invisible Children. And it, the entire idea was that they were going to make the Ugandan cult leader, war criminal, and ICC fugitive Joseph Coney, like, famous around the globe mm -hmm. by making, like, Coney 2012. We want him to be, like, the most famous person in the world because they were trying to, like, I guess, bring him to justice or whatever. And they were trying to paint him as, like, the world's most horrible man or whatever. The way that this consumed the entire world immediately mm -hmm. and then subsequently was milkshake ducked because the guy who is behind it is bananas yeah um but like that year doesn't feel real to me like and and here's why i think 2012 is also when obama was elected to a second term yeah and i think that in the same way that the amount of people that are like we have a black president therefore racism is dead which obviously we know is absolute horseshit but there are people in this world that believe that for eight years racism was dead i feel like <laughs> when he was elected for a second term there was like this unbelievable celebratory nature that existed for a lot of people of oh, like yeah, he ran on hope 
We were like, everything's great. Yeah, he ran on hope. We've got this guy in the in the White House who is going to make everything better. He's and young, he, and he plays basketball. Yeah, He's so cool. and we're far removed from 9-11, yeah. and, like, everything's great. And, like, not taking into consideration, like, what was actually going on politically or what was actually happening overseas or mm-hmm. whatever. But, like, 2012 was this weird transitionary year where, like, it did feel like a fever dream. I guess I I was ve- I believe you. I was just very well removed and kind of absorbed in my own not starving to death period. Yeah, you were like living in cars and shit. Uh, no, I wasn't at that point. I was just subsisting on a diet of butter, potatoes and rice for gotcha. long periods of time. Gotcha. So I was very broken, very sad. So I was a little self-absorbed during that period. <laughs> I don't have the best understanding of what was going on. I feel like you were allowed to be self-obsessed in that period because you, you needed to stay alive. My yeah. Love. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Well, I was still in college, so I was being awful and um, definitely living in this weird fever dream year. Um, it, it's it's just such a weird movie, and this movie is so polarizing too. Oh, is it ever? People, Even the people that we've talked to in like the last 24, 48 hours, who was like, by the way, we're doing Spring Breakers, and they have like really intense opinions about this movie. Yeah, it's either like, oof, that's the worst thing I've ever seen, or it's like, like oh, wow, that movie is fascinating. Yeah. I don't think anybody's said like, wow, I really like that. They're just like, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> and I even think that the people that we know that do like this movie or like really love it and care about it, they love it for like it's what it represents and like what it is exposing. Sure. And that's really interesting. And and I think overall the reason that this movie has become so fascinating to me in hindsight years later is that time capsule aspect of it because like trying to explain certain years to like younger generations is really, really difficult. And something that former guest Nase DeSanders said to me, uh, go listen to our episode of The Girl Who Loved Through Time. Nase is great. But we were talking about art and what it represents and the fact that it lives forever Mm -hmm. and something that she said was like everything that i know about the 70s i know from the movies that i've watched Mm -hmm. the culture the the look the attitude i learned all of that from movies because i wasn't there Mm -hmm. and i think about something like 2012 and if somebody was like what was 2012 like I feel like this would be one of the movies I would have them watch. I wouldn't pick like whatever was the best movie of the year or made the most money or whatever. I'd go, Mm -hmm. this is the most 2012 thing that could have possibly existed at this time. Yeah. Um, As someone who grew up and learned a lot about past by watching like VH1, I love the 70s, 80s, and 90s style shows for stuff that I either wasn't there for or was too young to remember. You can really cherry pick the parts of history that you want to remember when you do that mm-hmm. versus saying like, no, I'm going to point a finger at like this is deeper cut movie because that's more honest. Is mm-hmm. Jaws what 1975 is like? Yeah, kind of. But like, what's the seedier stuff look like? Because mm-hmm. that feels like a way more sincere and correct way to remember that year. You know? No, I agree with you completely. And just for like shits and gigs, I was like, all right. So what came out in 2013? Like when this movie came out? Amazing Spider-Man. No. (laughs) It's like The Great Gatsby, uh, Pacific Rim, This is the End, uh, Ender's Game, The Wolf of Wall Street, We're the Millers, World War Z. All these big movies are period pieces. The Conjuring, uh, Movie 43, uh, Stoker, we'll do that one eventually. 
uh, Wolverine, uh, Kick-Ass 2, Thor The Dark World, Iron Man 3. Like, that's kind of the world that we're dealing with. Uh, Snowpiercer. A lot of these sound like, hey, what did movies Ooh, look the like? Fir- the first Purge movie came out this year. That's something that I think is interesting Yeah, to to include in this. But yeah, a lot of these are, are period pieces or they're not really grounded in reality. A lot of these sound like, what did movies look like in 2013? Not, what did America look like in 2013? Yeah, I mean, even when we get to our biopics, we're like Dallas Buyers Club, 12 Years a Slave, 42, uh, Captain Phillips, The Butler. Ooh, The Bling Ring. I would include The Bling Ring into this uh-huh. for sure. Uh, Saving Mr. Banks, Behind the Candelabra. Like, yeah, all of these are period pieces. What the hell? We, like, did not want to address our own reality in these years, in 2013. Yeah, that's because we didn't think we were going to make it to 2013 because the world was going to end. Okay, you know what? Good point. Very, very good point. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I I think that that kind of clears me up on, uh, on Spring Breakers. How about you? I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that... We had as much to say about this movie as we did because a lot is happening and yet not a lot is happening. And mm-hmm. I think we mostly talked about not the movie for this episode. And that's fine. And I, well, yeah, because trying to analyze this movie, it's so subjective. Like, uh-huh. this is this is one of those movies that is an experience. It is not a movie. Yeah. Like, it is, but it isn't. All righty. Well, uh, Harmony. Spring Breakers is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, or maybe are you buying them their own tickets? They can go on their own. So so here's where I'm sitting, because honestly, I did not even ponder this question before this exact moment. (laughs) As a wholly unique and interesting and significant cultural artifact, I think Spring Breakers is only going to become better with each passing year. Mm -hmm. As a watching experience, I'm, I'm good mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to plop this squarely in the maybe category. Oh, it's going to get a maybe. Yeah. You're not even sending them on their own. No, I mean, if I need to be reminded of some stuff that I missed out on that was really common, mm-hmm. I think it's worth revisiting this for that. Well, I mean, yeah. Getting involved in a gang turf war and shooting people is absolutely something that was a universal experience that you missed out on. Um, Hate to break it to you. I was just thinking like (laughs) doing drugs and going on spring break. But yeah, well, you know what? Let's see how deep this rabbit hole goes. (laughs) Well, perfect. I yeah, I thought you were going to send it on their own personally. But so. All right. I'll take the maybe. I like it. Oh, goodness. Well, friends, I yeah, that definitely takes us out on spring breakers. As always, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor. And thank you as always to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what music did you pick this week for a cool indie band that fits in the world of Spring Breakers? All right. You're going to have to follow me on this one because... All right. Take me on a journey. The soundtrack to this is just dubstep and Britney Spears. So I really don't want to plug any dubstep and Mm -hmm. Britney is just her own thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm going in a different direction, but follow me on this. All right, take me. So there's a band called Escape from the Zoo. Okay. We were listening to them in the car earlier when we were getting back from buying groceries. Okay. They are a 
punk band that is formed by Days and Days singer Jesse and his wife, as well as like some other people. And here's why I'm plugging this band that is like kind of crust punk, kind of ska, kind of folk, kind of a lot of things, none of which make them a part of the Spring Breakers world. Days and Days is a band that I really, really love, and I'll probably give them their own proper shout out at some point. But listening to a band of young people who started when they were still in high school and wrote songs about depression and how the world's going to end and your friends are overdosing and you're severely fucked up with your own addictions and all of these things that are very heavy and very unpleasant. Watching them clean up and get their lives together with each subsequent album mm-hmm. over like a 10 year stretch, 10 year stretch. Over like a 10-year stretch, 10-year stretch, over like a 10-year stretch, album, Mm -hmm. over like a 10-year stretch, all of these things that are very heavy and very unpleasant, watching them clean up and get their lives together with each subsequent album Mm -hmm. over like a 10-year stretch, I think that fits the energy of what this movie kind of should go for. Okay. So you get to something like this new album by them called Counting Cards. Um, My favorite songs are like the title track, Wasted Years, uh, Learning Curve, Sentient Beer. Like the whole thing's a pretty good listen. All of these themes sound like someone talking back to their party self Mm -hmm. that you would see in Spring Breakers. You know what? I I can't argue that. I think you're I think you're right. Thank you. I was like, I'm going to go for a little bit of a little bit of a long walk for this drink of water, mostly because I don't want to plug dubstep. <laughs> but here we are. That That's my plug for this week. Amazing. Well, friends, that takes us out. And we hope you have a wonderful spring break. Spring break. Spring And we will see you next time. Save that last dance for us. Bye. I got, I got shorts, every fucking color. Look at my shit. Look at my shit. I got my blue Kool-Aid. Oh, you got some Kool-Aid. I got my fucking nunchuck. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.